is now the third sermon in our summer sermon series, Eat Hearty, A Biblical Theology of Eating and Drinking. Uh, if you'd like to, you can turn with me in your own Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I will read from that chapter in just a few moments. It's printed in your, uh, in your bulletins, and for the first time in a while, I can say this as well. You can also find it in the Pew Bibles if you would like to look there on page 958. Uh, at the risk of oversimplification, let me give you a quick way to understand the first two sermons and then this one as well. In the first sermon of this series, we saw what I want to call the gift given. Okay, the gift of eating and drinking given by the Lord. We saw it particularly when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, but you can see it in plenty of other places in Scripture as well where we see that God's provision of food for us uh, both sustains us bodily and also gives to us joy as well. Sermon number one, the gift given. Sermon number two is the gift abused. And of course, the gift abused has to do with the fact that Adam and Eve, instead of partaking in the way and of the trees which God had given to them, instead choose to partake of the tree which had been forbidden to them, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in so doing, as we looked at the, the, the significance of food, what we saw is that they become partakers of that. They become participants in the evil one who had tempted them, and if you will, guests at his table instead of guests at the Lord's table. So the gift given, sermon number one, the gift abused, sermon number two, and today, as we consider it, it is the gift restored, the gift restored. Now, uh, if you want to put that in language that we're used to hearing from Scripture and certainly in Reformed churches, the pattern that we're following then is creation, fall, redemption. Okay, creation, fall, redemption. That's each of these first three sermons in this uh, series. So today, the lens by which we're going to see this restoration of food and its goodness and its goodness to us. The lens by which we're going to see this is the idea of the covenant meal. And the covenant meal we've already seen and heard from Exodus chapter 24 when we read that. But now, let me take it forward to the new covenant and in particular to what Paul has to say about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read from verse 17 then to the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be, a, must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do, not, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat... Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give directions when I come. The covenant meal. Lord, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the feast of your word that is set before us. And we pray that today, as we look pretty comprehensively at your word, that you would help us that you would help us to hear well, that you would help me to speak well and clearly, and that, Lord, you would allow these things to penetrate down deep inside of us and into our lives and hearts, unto your glory, unto our transformation, into your likeness. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Last week, we saw that by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve broke covenant with God. God had entered into a covenant of life with them upon the condition of perfect obedience. They had to completely obey what he had said, and the focal point of that was do not eat of that tree. They forsook the meal that God had provided and ate the meal that God had forbidden. And the result was a rupture. The result was a breach, and, and visually we can just imagine it as saying they walked away from the table. God had prepared for them a rich banquet of good food. There was a lie that was given to them about another banquet with other food that was better food. They got up from the table that God had prepared. They walked to the other table, and they sat down there. And God, by casting them out of the garden by stationing at the edge of the garden a cherubim with a flaming sword that goes around and around to guard the way to the tree of life, lest they go now to the tree of life and eat of it, God says, you are not invited back to the table. You left the table and you are not invited back to this table to eat of what I provide at least not the way you are. At least you're not invited back in the state in which you presently find yourself. Uh, I don't know about you, but in my household as I was growing up as a child, and I think if I recall it correctly, I probably passed this on into my kids as well. There were rules about how you could come to the table. I'll just give you two examples of those rules. One was you couldn't come to the table and eat with a hat on. 
If you had a hat on when you came to the table, you had to take the hat off before you could sit down at the table. The second rule was you come, couldn't come to the table without a shirt. So even if you were a kid, a river rat like me, and I'd been without a shirt the entire day, and we were sitting down to eat crabs, and there's nothing fancy at all about it, you still had to put a shirt on in order to come to the table. There were restrictions. You had to be dressed right to get to that table. And the Lord says as well, you cannot come to the table in the condition in which you find yourselves right now. I prohibit it. And yet, we get to the end of Scripture, we get to the book of Revelation, and we hear this. This is Revelation 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. That's restoration. That is restoration to the table, to the place of fellowship with God. Restoration to that which had been forbidden in the garden in the very beginning today and in this series. Really what we're tracing is how did we, how do we get from gifted and then forbidden to becoming, once again, a welcomed guest at the table of our Lord. And the covenant meal is one way to appreciate and understand that progress. So here's what I want to do as we begin to consider this. The first thing I want us to do is to consider the relationship that exists between covenants and eating. Okay, covenants are things that bring people together. Uh, they, they are a bond, a, a serious bond that brings people together. And in the ancient Near East, it was common to include as part of a covenant, perhaps the provision of food, and in particular, the sharing of a meal. It was part of how you made a covenant. I've talked before just in terms of the provision of food. The, the, the Bible speaks in one place of a covenant of salt. And the idea that might be there is that two parties are making covenant with one another. Both have their provisions with them, and they grab both salt and, and, and put salt in the other person's storage place so that you now are blended together. You're now connected. You're now people who are participants of one another. But in addition to that, you have this idea of what we want to call a covenant meal that is presented as well. It's common in the ancient Near East, and it's common in Scripture as well. Let me give you just a couple of places that illustrate what I'm talking about. So in Genesis, in Genesis chapter uh, 26, we see Abimelech wanting to establish a good and safe relationship with Isaac. He sees that the Lord is with Isaac. He sees that the Lord is blessing Isaac. And he comes to Isaac and he says, listen, I see that the Lord is with you. Let's make a covenant together. Let's make a covenant. And so we read in Scripture, we read these words. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. And in the morning they awoke and exchanged oaths. Okay, so the idea is we're going to make a covenant together. They establish that. They kind of set it out and then they eat together, and then they have the oaths of the covenant. Here's another one that's uh, similar to it, Genesis chapter 31, just moving on a little bit. 
If you know your scriptures, you know that Jacob and Laban, after all the years, had a pretty tense relationship with one another. A question is, how are we going to keep from going after one another, from killing one another, from establishing clear boundaries? And the answer to that question is, let's make a covenant. Let's make a covenant to make sure that what's yours is yours, what mine is mine, and we understand and we agree to that. And when they make the covenant, they solemnize the covenant by eating together, by sitting down and eating bread together. These are covenant meals. These are specific things. Uh, in, in our culture, maybe we can equate it to a, a shaking of hands by which you say, this is done. This, this is the way that we will relate to one another. It's a confirmation. It is a bond that is established. So a covenant meal is part of that. In our culture, in our day and age, it might not be uncommon after a significant, think of a business deal is done, to then go out and have dinner together. It's not this, but there's echoes at least of that idea to say when we're together and we eat together, there's something that is established between each other. In any case, these are more formal than that. Now, in addition to it, in addition to covenant meals themselves, the provisions of covenant often include food as part of that. I want to give you four biblical examples of food being part of a covenant. And again, you don't need to look at each one of these right now. First of all, in Ezekiel chapter 34, the people of God are in captivity. God is promising to them a restoration and we read these words, 34, 25. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down showers in their season and they will be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their earth and the earth itself shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in the land, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So the Lord says, when I establish this covenant of peace with you, I'm going to provide. The land is going to provide. I'm going to bless the land so that it provides for you as a people. That is very similar to the exact same promises that we find in the book of Exodus with respect to God bringing them into the promised land. The promised land, God says, this land that I'm giving to you by covenant will be a land that is what? Flowing with milk and honey, right? It's a representation of the fact that in covenant, God is saying to them, I'm going to provide food for you in the place that I'm taking you. Now, let's go back even farther uh, to the book of Genesis and the flood in Genesis chapter 9. So the flood has taken place. And Noah comes out of the ark, makes offering to God, and immediately God enters into covenant. Covenant with Noah, covenant with all the earth. And, and there's a pretty big question after you've been on the ark for all of this time, after the earth has been devastated by flood, and you kind of come out and you see all of the devastation around you, what's the question? What are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? Because everything's been wiped out. 
And so it's imperative that God say immediately to his people, which he does in, in Genesis chapter 8 going into 9, he says, quote, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains seed time and harvest. And he goes on to, to affirm there what's going to take place with the progression of the seasons. So what, in effect, God says is I am going to maintain this earth. I am going to maintain seed time and harvest. In other words, Noah, yes, you can come out, you can send the animals out, you yourselves can come out because I am going to provide for you. And if we read, which we did just last week, if we read down just a little bit farther, what we would see is that God again repeats, just as I have given to you all of the fruit trees and all of the green plants on the land, so now I give you everything that moves over the face of the earth. Food and the provision of it is part of God's covenant promise to Noah, his people. But we can go back further still in Scripture. Okay, so I've given you the three examples so far. The one from Ezekiel, the covenant of peace, the promise in Exodus of a lamb flowing with milk and honey. Genesis chapter 9, the covenant of preservation with Noah. He says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. But let's go all the way back to the beginning. God had established the covenant of life with Adam and Eve, providing food for them in that covenant. And of course, we saw all the fall into sin, partaking wrongly, and the curses then are given to the serpent, and the curses are given to the woman, and the curses are given to the man as well. Listen to the curses. In light of this sermon, you're going to hear it, or this series, you're going to hear it jumping out, but it might have slipped by us other times. Listen to the fact that every single verse, 17 through 19, deals with eating. Eating is the focus. But to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, and your, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you will return. God says, listen, what you did is connected to eating, and now the curse that you are going to bear as a people is connected to eating as well. You're going to eat in pain, you're going to have to work your way through thorns and thistles, and you're going to eat it only by the sweat of your brow. The curses relate to exactly what the sin was. However, and I think we've pointed this out before, there's something incredible in the statement. And what's incredible in the statement is you're going to eat. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be full of cursing. It's going to be full of work. It's going to be full of pain. But in the covenant of grace that God immediately makes with Adam, he gives the promise, you are still going to eat. I'm still going to provide for you. This earth even though cursed by me because of you, is still going to provide food for you. And so we have this idea. The promise of food being part of God's covenant itself, 
And then the covenant meals. They are meals that seal. Meals that seal. That's the idea of these covenant meals in particular. Meals that seal all of the promises that God makes in the covenants themselves. And that prepares us for the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, we see God provide everyday food in a miraculous way. He provides, if you will, what is normally common for us, uh, our daily bread, and he provides it through the miracles that he gives in the wilderness of the manna and of the provision of water and quail that he gives for the people as well. But in addition to that, we see the development then of this idea of a covenant meal. Now, I know we're talking about a lot of things. The covenant meal par excellence is one that I didn't have us read because it's so deep and it's so rich that I thought we'll get stuck in it if we go there. The covenant meal par excellence is Passover, right? That's, that's the, the main covenant meal that God makes with his people. That is where the covenant God remembers his covenant promises for his covenant people and says, in covenant, I'm going to deliver you and now eat this meal exactly as I have prescribed it. And in that meal is all of the representation and all of the sealing of the promises that God has made with respect to the deliverance of his people. The Passover is a covenant meal. But what I want us to look at today, in, and just to highlight in brief, is the covenant meal that Nick described for us found in Exodus chapter 24. It's not the case that they just happen you know, to be hungry while they were up there on the mountain and uh, thought, well, this is a good time to eat a little bit. And it's not recorded for that reason, and it's not provided by God for that point either. No, if, if you'll remember the scene here just a moment, which I, I can set in brief, Israel has come through part of the wilderness, and they've come through to Sinai, the mountain, wherein God says, you're going to serve me at this place. And God sets up the conditions for them, the people are not allowed to go on the mountain, they're not allowed to touch the mountain. The priests are a little bit inside of the people, keeping the people from the mountain itself. When God says initially to Aaron and to Moses, you come up to the top of the mountain where I will meet with you. And then by the time we get to Exodus chapter 24, you've got the 70 elders along with Nadab and Abihu and Aaron and Moses who begin to go up the mountain of the Lord. Think about it this way. In that context then, the book of the covenant is read. Okay, the book of the covenant is read. The blood of the covenant is shed. The priests make the sacrifices. The blood of the covenant is spread and the people who are the representatives, or the men who are the representatives of the people, are fed. Red, shed, spread, fed on top of that mountain in the presence of God. They ate and drank in the presence of God. It is a covenant ceremony. That's what's taking place in that place at that time. It is a covenant meal. It is the restoration of table fellowship with God, albeit in a way that is terrifying 
terrifying. You didn't kick back and relax on Sinai. Nobody did. Nobody felt comfortable being around, on, or eating around Sinai. It was a scary place to be. There were restrictions and there were warnings associated with that table fellowship. Nevertheless, it of course provides a hint of things to come. Now, let's fast forward. Let's fast forward all the way up to the night in which our Lord was betrayed when he turns to his disciples and says to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Now just pause there for a moment and think of the great God in heaven and earth who had forbid re-entry into the garden lest they eat of the tree of life. Think now of the Lord saying to his disciples and through them to us, I really want to eat with you. I want to eat this meal, this Passover, I want to eat with you. Now make no mistake, this is no ordinary meal. How many meals had the disciples and Jesus had together at this point? I don't know, what, a thousand? Breakfasts and lunches and dinners and snacks or whatever along the way. A thousand meals. This is not one of them. This is a covenant meal. This is a gathering up of all of the fragments of all of the old covenant meals. Think of the moment of the feeding of the 5,000. They're up on the mountain, and, and Jesus feeds, and now he says, collect up everything that's left over. Collect it all up. This is what the, that's what this is. This is a collection of all of the old covenant meals being brought together. It's the gathering of all of the covenant promises. It's the gathering up of the Passover. It's a gathering up of the, the blood of the covenant that we read about that Jesus obviously echoes in the words that he says, but the blood of the covenants that's referred to in Exodus chapter 24. This is a meal, this meal right here, is a meal to end all old meals. And it is a meal that begins all new meals. They all flow from this table right here. It is the new covenant, and as the new covenant meal, it is a meal that seals. A meal that seals. It seals unto us Christ and all of his benefits. It's not a common everyday meal of which they and we partake. That seems to be part of the error that the Corinthian church was having that Paul addresses here. He's, it seems that in some way they were conflating their regular eating with the eating and the partaking of the Lord's Supper in a way that was just a mess. And Paul has to address it and kind of kind of separate those two things out again, differentiate between those two things. But this meal, this meal, Paul says, has been specifically and particularly set apart by our Lord. Uh, think of it this way, just as a simple kind of thing to say. Not all showers and baths are baptisms. Showers and baths are nice things. They're not all baptisms. And not all meals. All meals are nice things. All of them are gifts from God. All of them are part of the covenant of grace by which he cares for this world and his people. But not all meals are covenant meals. Instead, this particular meal that is set before us today under the appointment of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a covenant meal that we have together. Here, 
we not only eat with Jesus, but we feast upon Jesus himself. In contrast to that first meal, our first parents partook of darkness. Here we partake of light. They partook of disobedience and so became participants, partners, sons of disobedience. The father of lies said, come to my table, eat of this offering that I am giving to you. And as such, they became the children of disobedience, the children of darkness. Here, at this table, we partake of the righteousness of the obedience of Christ. The first meal that was in the garden required perfect obedience, right? Perfect and full obedience was required. And certainly at Sinai, perfect and full obedience to the law of God was required of the people. And when Jesus comes to this table and invites us to this table, what he is saying is, partake of me. You have to eat of me. You have to eat of my righteousness, of my obedience, obedience to the very original command that was given to Adam, obedience to all of it as it is exposed and expounded for us in the law of God to Moses as well. Partake of righteousness. Eat it. And partake of my forgiveness of your sins by my blood. We become nourished as participants and partners and children of light. As part of his good and providential care of us, God has given to us the food that we enjoy every day. It strengthens us in body. It cheers us along the way as we partake of it. Parentheses. Friends said I had to mention a blueberry pie that Lauren made this week. It's things that cheer us along the way. And parentheses. But he's given this covenant meal in particular to nourish our souls. Regular food every day, it cheers us and it nourishes our bodies. This one is for our souls to help us grow in the heavenly life which has begin, begun in us and which will be completed at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and our resurrection in him. Uh, the Belgic Confession, one of the great Reformed Confessions, chapter 35, uh, speaks of the Lord's Supper. You could read it online at some other time, uh, and, and it's too long to read in full. I'm just going to read two sentences of it for us this morning so that you hear this. Here's how the Belgic Confession describes this table. This banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all his benefits. At that table, he makes us enjoy himself. As much as the merits of his suffering and death, as he nourishes, strengthens, and comforts our poor, desolate souls by eating of his flesh, and relieves and renews them by the drinking of his blood. It's a spiritual feast at which, to which we are invited so that we can enjoy our God together and feed upon him. And this raises, and it's appropriate for us to address it right here, this raises the old question once again, what do you mean by eating of his flesh and drinking his blood? We saw that from Jesus in John chapter 6 last week. How are we doing that when we partake of this meal? And the answer, consistently given, the answer to that question is we are eating 
Jesus. We are drinking the blood of Jesus by the power of the Spirit working in us through faith. That's how we are partaking of Jesus. That's how we are eating his flesh and drinking his blood when we take of this meal. Another way to say that is that we are partaking of Jesus spiritually in this meal. Now, I want us to talk about one thing, the word spiritually. When you and I hear what I've just said to us, that we are partaking of this meal spiritually, I think there might be a temptation for many of us. And the, the temptation might be something like this. When we hear spiritually, something goes off in our mind by which we go, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. It's not actual. It's spiritual. I get it. It's representative. I, I understand what you're saying. It's a it's like a simile. It's like a, a metaphor. It's like a symbol. It's something that helps us to understand something else. It's something that helps us to remember, and we think that's what spiritually means. Now, there's nothing wrong with appreciating that this meal has symbolism and representation involved in it in this supper, which help us to remember what our Lord has done for us. That is true. But brothers and sisters, the sacrament is more than that. Spiritually doesn't mean it's kind of like this. It's sort of like participating in Jesus. That's not what it means. It is Christ's commitment to this meal with his words by which he communes with his people through the bread and wine and by the Spirit. Christ then has established what we call a sacramental union between the sign, the sign is the bread and the wine, and the thing that is signified, which is Christ himself. Jesus, working through the Spirit, establishes that union. A covenant and a covenant meal brings together things that have been separated. Through eating, we forsook fellowship with God, and through eating by faith, Christ has restored union and communion to us. So, feasting spiritually is not less real than feasting physically. I read from John uh, as the call to worship. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We don't want to prioritize spirit over body necessarily, but one came before the other. If God is spirit, spirit is first. Not material, not matter of some sort. Spirit is first. And so we partake of this as God's people, and we partake of something physical, and the eating and drinking, the act of eating and drinking, of taking it down inside of ourselves, is a way of God saying to us, listen, just so you know, spiritually doesn't mean pretend. It's as real as what you're holding in your hand. It's as real as what you've got in your mouth. It's as real as what is going down into your stomach. You, when you partake of this meal, are feeding on Jesus himself. Let me, let me give it to you in the words of the Westminster Confession as well. Chapter 29, worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements, in this sacrament do then also inwardly by faith 
really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporately, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all of the benefits of his death. The body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally in with or under the bread and wine, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. Your outward senses are being used by God. Nick talked about the sensible signs and seals. Your outward senses are being employed by God right now to say, listen, I know you can't see it, but it's no less real. It's no less real, the communion that we have with Christ at this table. In the wilderness, Israel ate and drank Christ. Paul, front of your bulletin, 1 Corinthians 10. Paul calls it the spiritual food and the spiritual drink. You and I eat and drink of Christ. Spiritual food and spiritual drink in a way deeper and richer as he has completed his work for us. So, today, let's celebrate the feast. And as we do so, we repent of our sins. We turn away from bitterness and angerness and malice and divisions. And we turn to Christ, our Passover lamb, in sincerity and in truth. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do so. We thank you for the covenant meal by which, through which, you communicate to us the bond that you have established. Jesus, the work that you have done so that we can feed and feast upon you. Help us to think that way, to believe that way, to examine ourselves well in light of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.